And uh, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's another Out of the Rough podcast. It's me, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> nah, it's me and uh, Kid. We're uh, just finished watching the fucking U.S. Open. Um, I think the lack of energy right now is because it wasn't that fun to watch today at all. I would <coughs> I would argue it wasn't that fun to watch all week. Yeah, I was going to get there, but uh yeah, it was a pretty lackluster tournament all in all. I don't really know where to start with it to be honest. I think we could start with before it started, which was the expectations for it. There was a certain vibe and uh difficulty and brutalness that was uh suspecting or, or not even suspecting it supposedly was happening for practice rounds for pros um that there was going to be just absolute like grotesque carnage and it started off not that way on thursday and i think that kind of put everyone kind of like a, a in a bad mood to start with yeah i think uh that's definitely absolutely true. Um, everyone went in with the expectations of it being a very, very difficult test to all of the players' golf. And being hit right over the head on Thursday with a lot a lot easier course than I'm sure the majority of people that pay attention to golf were expecting. And... That followed up. I mean, it got better Friday. Um, Still not what I was expecting or, you know, before Thursday. Um, And then it just kind of... Saturday, it was kind of easy again. And then today was, you know, better again. Like, it it wasn't the U.S. Open I was expecting. You know, after having Pebble, um, I was expecting them to, you know, really step it up and they were talking about the history of Wingsfoot and all these scores over par and finishing winning scores over par. And uh yeah, I I don't think we I don't think we could have you know, I think we could have gotten a much better product than we did. And uh there was a potential for um even higher scores than we saw this week and I think the proper distinction that you said at the beginning is that it's, it was easier than what we had expected. I would, I, mean, I don't think you can make an argument that it was easy. Um, <clears throat> at the end of the day, like Bryson's the only one who broke par. So it was still a hard test, but I don't think it was difficult in the ways that the audience was expecting. I don't think it was difficult enough in the ways that people wanted I don't even think it was difficult in the ways that the USGA planned for it to be. And what that resulted in is basically really boring golf because people were basically just, people were just getting manhandled by Bryson. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, It, it, what's interesting is that um, they were putting such a like, how important it would be to hit fairways and it just turned out to be the absolute opposite of that like you didn't really have to hit fairways to play well 
you needed to be able to hit out of the rough. And if you could hit out the rough and roll the ball up or get it close around the green and be able to scramble and save your pars, like you were going to be in contention at the end of the week. And it's a lot easier to hit out of the rough when you have a shorter iron or wedge in your hand, mm-hmm. which means just hit it down as far as you can. And uh, it, the fairway things is a bit interesting because I really hated whenever they talked about fairway stats because if your ball was a half an inch off of the shortest grass in that first cut, they were saying that wasn't a fairway hit and you weren't seeing any different quality of shots or ability to get things close from that first cut. If anything, they're actually able to get more club on the ball and they were actually spinning it just as much from that first cut. So I, I think that's a little bit of a misnomer in the stats or at least a misrepresentation in the stats. Bryson, I wasn't even really thinking me personally. I wasn't really even thinking about like the stats per se, just from what I watched like this. Well, all people talked about yesterday was about how Matthew Wolf hit two fairways yesterday and shot a 65 was like, no, he, he went to the first cut a lot or he was barely off of the first cut in like that secondary cut. And like he had, yes, some lies in the rough that he said he got lucky with, but there's a difference between being where Wolf is or Bryson is and where like JT was throughout the week where, which was like, you're on the opposite side of the trees with JT and you have like no angles. You're in like gnarly rough and like you can get the club on the ball, but if you're offline that far, you're not very close. So it's like, if you can hit it down the corridors um, and you can get a wedge on the club in the rough, then you're not going to be penalized really. Like, cause at the end of the day, like these guys swing these clubs so fucking fast that like it's going through the rough fairly fine at steep attack angles and they're just chunking it out there and letting it run. And we can get to the green complexes a little bit later and how they could have been more penal in different ways. But I don't care if those things are running like fucking ice rinks and the slopes are 45 degree gradients. Like that isn't a sustainable way to protect a golf course in the future. So like, there was a lot of things wrong with Wingfoot, but I think there's an equally large conversation that needs to happen around equipment as well with this podcast and later podcasts. Yeah, I mean, uh, I do think the best golfer won the tournament for the week for sure. I mean, you can't make an argument if he <laughs> he beat this the field by seven point nine strokes gained on Sunday. Yeah, the fourth highest in history in the final round of the u.s open so um yeah the best golfer definitely won today yeah and <clears throat> yeah i'll be it'll be interesting to see you know what happens you know going forward i have a feeling that nothing's gonna change like we're just gonna continue to go down this path probably they'll probably just bryson will continue to do what he's doing for as long as he can for as long as his body will let him and you know, until it's like the majority of the field overpowering golf courses, like, I don't know if anything will be done or not. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, an interesting point that, uh, <coughs> Ian Finnis, who's Tony Finau's caddy, um, made was basically like the problem with the U S open right now is Bryson hit sideways last night and had an advantage as closer to the green, any other U S open firm greens, he would have been screwed zero chance. Set up his key today, soften fairways a little, which is a huge point because it felt like the fairways were running for days, and all that means is that it's just going to run out into rough. Mm-hmm. But if you like hit the fairway, at least on your first bounce, and it softens up a little bit, you'll be in the fairway. You'll be able to get a 
club on the ball with shorter grass and possibly better angles. It won't roll out as far, but like, I mean, these pros hit it so high now that like no one's really looking for carry out much more these days, unless you're Joaquin Neiman. Yeah. Like, it, they're gonna carry it long enough, and so it's like, actually, maybe let's think about softening up the fairways and then firming up the greens, and then maybe you start seeing a different kind of leaderboard developing. But you know, everything's hindsight's twenty twenty, but. At the end of the day, people th- th- this tournament had 14 years to figure out what they wanted to do, and then the USGA had all sorts of data sets day after day to figure out what they wanted to do with the tournament. And they got a hard tournament like they promised. It wasn't the carnage that we wanted to see in the method that we wanted, but only one person broke par, albeit by a lot, and it unfortunately was just a very ugly and not in like the fun way of watching people go over par. Yeah, and it just lacked entertainment you know, this afternoon, like you want a U.S. Open to be entertaining coming down the stretch. Like and, you know, that is, you know, Matt Wolf didn't really show up. It was his fault. Yeah, I, I agree with that. But, uh, it, you know, I don't know. They're it, just it was a two horse race, which means you have all of your chips in that basket. So it's like people always talk about like you want to see the best players separate themselves. Well, the two best players this week separate themselves and then when you trust one of those best players to be a 21-year-old kid that's never had this moment before, he, he wilted to it, and now you've got yourself in a situation where this is now basically just watching one guy speed away. And listening to the broadcasters try to create drama or intrigue out of someone who is four up with you know five to play is just sort of like, guys, this is over. This is completely over. And not because like you couldn't lose this event in those last few holes. Plenty of guys probably shot you know five or six over in that backstretch but it wasn't going to be bryson and they should have known that and they had to find a way to make it more interesting but instead they chose to linger on two guys for two hours of a broadcast and not show anybody else in the fucking golf course for fucking three hours of that broadcast so i mean i'm i'm more disappointed in the broadcast than i am with the even the conditioning of this course which is probably an unpopular opinion but Every fucking podcast we rip on the broadcast, but this was a U.S. Open, and I'll give them their whole thing that you know they got the production late and they weren't prepared for it, and they did their best to kind of hustle in place. But this is also NBC. They've had the U.S. Open in the past. They put on golf events all the damn time. They have a, a channel that they have kind They've of put on better products this year after COVID than this. Right. It, it really came down to this was worse than a standard PGA Tour event in terms of broadcast. There was poor graphics or no graphics, incorrect graphics. They would cut to the wrong second angles of balls on approach or to just different people in general. They would cut balls while they were still moving. They would linger on things for way too long that didn't even be lingered on. And then just generally speaking, they just chose really poor angles for things. And I mean, I also wonder how much of the poor angles is up to the cameraman and not like the, I guess, I guess the production could be like, Hey, you don't go there anymore find a different angle right i mean i when <laughs> when i was reading up on the controversy with bryson with the camera guy uh with the bunker like when he was like get out of my face like give me give me some space back up when he started braiding the camera guy like from my understanding like cameramen have a production guy in their ear at all times telling them where to be going so from my understanding they're almost as if they're drones like they're just being directed one place to another yeah um but it's I think it's pretty safe to say that the production crew had very little decisive direction and they were almost freewheeling it from Thursday through through Sunday. 
And I don't want to pretend that the job's easy, but I've seen them do better on a standard PJ tour week with just as limited resources. So, I mean, it was, it was terrible television. So if you mix that with the conditions and a generally like kind of flailing leaderboard and only one guy kind of just like taking away, taking off with it, it's, it's just really a tough sell to stick around for. And, to think that I watched 95% of this tournament, like almost feels like a little bit of a waste of my time during this period. Like it, it is kind of, I almost regret watching as much of the tournament as I did. Yeah. And it's crazy to say that for, uh, we haven't had, we didn't have majors for eight months and we're back to golf and it's the U S open and it wasn't, it wasn't a fun watch. Yeah. I mean, I was expecting something more along the lines of Shinnecock, like, greens like that like I, w- I wanted the greens firm and fast and i think that you know i think that would have helped out a lot if you would have done that from thursday granted like even if you would have kept thursday and it would have progressively gotten harder as the tournament went on like that would have been tolerable but the fact that they like albeit the you know weather and stuff plays a difference but they had the capabilities of making those greens firm and fast i i'll agree that you would have seen pro- probably higher scores and you would have seen people getting penalized and maybe bryson wouldn't have gone as low as he did but i would push back with the idea that because of how long the rough is and around the green complexes it would have still been extremely boring to watch versus shinnecock because if it ran through the greens or it bounced around, it would have just gone through the first fringe and then would have gotten to the thick rough and they would have still only been two paces off the green. They would have had their little chut shot over by the hole. It would have been seeing the same shit for the guys that would have just done anything else. It, it's an equalizing pe- in terms of penal golf at Wingfoot. Um, I'm not buying the Wingfoot Kool-Aid. I don't honestly like the course that much. Um, and... At the end of the day, I can respect the the creativity of the green, the rectilinear green complexes and their large slopes, but it to me it doesn't it doesn't it's not suited to this modern golf game and the way that these pros hit it now and what the technology is doing. I don't think it's equipped to defend it. And if you want to go back to these um, nostalgic legacy courses. The USGA te- needs to take a long, hard look of what they what they've let the game become. Yeah, or just start building golf courses that are fucking for this specifically. Like it is like make a a, a circuit of courses that are specifically that made flies for these in the guys. face of like golf being this sport of tradition and legacy no, and having I, this it, long linear history of basing like always returning to these new venues like. Imagine golf where you can't go back to St. Andrews, the birthplace of the sport. Like, let's stop letting capitalistic fucking companies run what happens to the future of this game. Like, where it's just basically like, oh, keep making this game completely fucking about just get as big as you can, swing as hard as you can, and have no fucking penality for how you hit the golf ball. Like, you're by the time we get to 2030, the golf club driver head is going to be the size of a goddamn basketball, and it's going to be made out of some sort of new age aluminum composite material that you've never seen before because some science engineer with a PhD hired by Callaway makes this club that just makes the game of golf look like a fucking, just a robotics show. Like, that's not the artistry of what's intriguing about the game of golf. Bryson has his own golf cup company, and they've become the 
world leader. Yeah, they're like a $10 billion company. (laughs) And it's like, we're just now beginning to understand how driver heads work like shafts. (laughs) And it's just a shit show, man. I'm fucking, I'm going to sound like the the fucking Twitter heads, but just like, roll the fucking golf ball back. Make the driver heads smaller. Make actual ball striking a part of fucking golf again. What if they just said that they couldn't, you couldn't have like, because essentially three woods are like the old school drivers. Like you just say no more drivers. Like you boys just are three wood and down. I mean, I wouldn't be entire. Firstly, let me go ahead and say I'm not an equipment head. So like, but I think it's, we have enough data to show that like the driver and the core factor and the MOI and the roll and bulge or the twist face or whatever you want to call it. Like, this has gone too far. And I, I really think people are going to say like, look, Bryson's just like a, he's a physical specimen. And that's true. But the end of the day is that he plays a five and a half inch driver, hits an insane positive attack angle on his ball. And by doing that, it has no fucking spin in the air, which means it doesn't curve and it doesn't get affected by wind as much, which means that this is a fucking dead ball flying wherever he wants it to. And that's why you're saying him being one of the best drivers off the tee this week. He was hitting more fairways today than anybody else. Yeah. And he, besides Matthew Wolf on a few occasions, he was hitting it longer than everybody else. That's a fucking problem. And the, the thing is, is that Bryson's exposing the game right now. And as much as I don't like his personality, I respect the fact that he as a golfer found this opening and the chink in the armor of the game of golf and he's exploiting it. And honestly, the game of golf might be better for it because he might fucking actually get it provoke it to get changed. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right when it is the capitalistic portion of golf. That's what they're wanting to sell new clubs every year. So they're trying to figure out a way to get the same people that bought clubs the year before to get, be like, Hey, look at this is new. This is some new technology. You should buy it. Yeah. And the thing is, is that, I don't even think, I think they're just complacent. I don't think they're creative. And I think they're very worried about the status quo changing. Because I think you could even make the pitch that rolling the ball back and changing up technology is a great opportunity for them to sell more equipment. I think there's a lot of people sitting on their golf clubs now knowing that like, okay, they haven't changed like that much recently. The technology is pretty much caught up to itself. They haven't changed the Pro V1 in ages. Like, why would I ever buy you know, a different kind of equipment. Like I wouldn't like people are going to have to buy more clubs or balls because they lose balls. But like there's no creativity, real changes. Like I don't ever feel like I'm going to have to change my driver for a long time. I don't see any reason why I would need to because they've limited now where the core can be and the driver head can't get any bigger. So it's just like, why would I change the, the technology now that's gotten to its its end? And it's like, okay, if we, they rolled back the driver head and they had to change things up, and people want to stick with playing the game that the pros play, then now you have this opportunity to sell a bunch of equipment again that's a different kind of classification. And then if you leave it, whether they do bifurcate or not, you now have this ability to sell the two different markets. Like there's a bunch of people playing illegal clubs right now. Like, so it just comes down to just like, I I think this whole like equipment manufacturers like are scared of like a, a ball rollback or, 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 or them changing the requirements or, you know, the parameters of club design, like, isn't really going to be that bad for them, but it just means they have to think differently with their marketing, but whatever. Yeah. I mean, I just think that that definitely is part of the issue. You know, there's a lot of people that you kind of have to get on board with something like that. You shouldn't, no, no, no. You shouldn't have to though. Like you're well, the USGA, also, you're also the RNA. Like, why? Uh, like, so, like, 
it's crazy that one or two organizations kind of just control like like this is what this is how golf is going to be played it's kind of a crazy thing yeah i mean you need a controlling body though that won't bend to the will of like special interest groups though right so like if you break up like the responsibility like look at the end of the day like the pga tour could say like we're going to make our own rules set for our tour and like mm-hmm. but i think they come to some sort of agreement with the usga or, or the rna or whatever else to have accreditation for a global kind of standard and whatever else and um but i mean what it comes down to man is that someone has to someone has to like get everyone together and sit down and just be like look at this trend look at where things are going this has been you know this has been going on for a long time you, this is a defining moment i think this year and next year will be um critical to the viability of the game of golf going forward i think as an entertainment product and i believe as just a general growth of a game because courses are going to continue to need to get built and made bigger which makes i think the accessibility lower for recreational golfers and um while the recreational game isn't kind of inflating to the same way that the pros game is they're going to continue to stratify away from what makes the game of golf so intriguing what if they went back to you have to have hickory shafts i mean i think just fully just roll it all the way back like a full rollback we're going back to the good old day the the classic era i would like a discussion to be open to any possibility and we just try (laughs) to like come down to what's realistic i think you could have an argument that like if you were to reinstate like wood in that way, you would be seeing guys breaking clubs during a round of golf. And like, you'd probably have to adapt the rules about replacements and all like, and just the, yeah. the, the durability and dependency of a club. But I, Hey, like I, the creative thinking is something I would want to be on the table going into a meeting like that. Yeah, no, I, no idea is too stupid when the game of golf is becoming very stupid. Yeah. I mean, I, I wonder how much just even like how much actually, like if you rolled the ball back before, pre pro v1 like how much of a difference that would make if you kept the drivers the same it would have an impact but it's not i don't think it'd have as much of an impact as i would want because at the end of the day like and what does that even entail like no more multi-core balls just one single core yeah so the idea is that the modern ball um in the past you either had a ball that would compress and go fast um but it would spin a lot or you'd have a ball that doesn't compress and wouldn't spin a lot or whatever the configuration of that is now you have a ball that can compress and go very far and not spin too much like but spin because of a soft shell when you need to for a controller on the green so it's like they found this way to have instead of having this venn diagram of like things separated these circular areas of performance from your ball they now manage to just take all three of those circles for that venn diagram and just make them on top of each other and that's the pro v1 or that's every new premier ball now. So it's like there's no trade-off in ball selection anymore. Like you get the best of all worlds. And whenever people are like, oh, the Pro V1 versus Pro V1X, like we're talking about marginal spin changes. Yeah. So it's also, I feel like the Pro V1 has a softer shell too, which I like more. Yeah. I mean, it feels different for putting and stuff like that for sure. Um, but let's let's hop back to the tournament and take let's talk about some of these golfers i think that would be yeah i mean we didn't even say i mean i'm sure everyone listening to this already knew but yeah bryson dechambeau won the fucking us open 2020 um 
and it, he won it in strong fashion. He blew the field away. He uh, never shot over par. Yeah, I mean, he, none of the days. He 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 shoved it down the USGA's throat. The the hardest day, which was Friday, I think, in relative to par in the the. the it the, could, the it field. Was, it was either today or Friday, and yeah. it seemed like it was Friday. Yeah. Um, but I mean, a lot of people fell back today too. So um, Friday, Bryson still broke par. He shot yeah. a sixty-eight today. He shot a sixty-seven. Um, Hideki broke par on Friday. Bubba broke par on Friday. You know, a few people broke par on Friday versus Bryson being the only one who broke par on on Sunday. So. Um, it's, I would think Friday and Sunday, I think were conditions, adequate conditions for what people were hoping and expecting for. They wanted them for all four days, which I get. Um, I'm not going to pretend, pretend what it, what it would be like, like for an agronomist or for the course management. It seemed like the, uh, from what I hear on Twitter, I don't know to trust or not, but like, it sounded like the, the, the land, the, the fucking greenskeeping team, the superintendent team, like was very frustrated after Thursday. And um, I'm sure people would have liked to have seen Friday, Sunday conditions every single day. And I would agree with them. I'd be part of that camp. Um, but I would say you were still going to get a boring tournament. Yeah. And you could be right. Uh, you know, it, it just, it is what it is. Like none of us have really any control except for doing what we're doing and talking about it. And hopefully it gets out there and, you know, eventually, people start to listen stop thinking that rough is what's going to stop these guys from yeah embarrassing your course but like i said we were trying to jump back to players so let's 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 go down this leaderboard and also just like i get that you guys market yourselves as the toughest test in golf but like rough definitely doesn't make the tournament entertaining like in and at the end of the day you're trying to provide an entertaining tournament and I get that's y'all's identity as the U.S. Open, but like to me, every single year, the most entertaining tournament is Augusta, and there's fucking no rough there, and it's just difficult greens, and we'll see what fucking Bryson does in November. I I have a I have a question for you, and I, I don't know. I'll, I'll pull it up while I'm also talking to you, just so I can have the stats handy. But would you? have enjoyed more seeing let's say that they actually the memorial this year was actually the u.s open like they had they've they had the u.s open at Muirfield village and the tournament that we watched that john rom won Mm -hmm. was the actual u.s open because i would say the conditions for that tournament met the parameters of the difficulty of what you'd expect from a u.s open considering that aaron hills was a you know certified uso pebble beach this year was a certified you know u.s open you know, there there was very few rounds under par to finish. I think the there was only nine people that broke par for it. So like that's, I tell you, I'd be much happier as John Rahm as the U.S. Open champion than Bryson. But I'm saying this sense that like I found the Memorial this year more entertaining. The way that, that course was penal felt legitimate for U.S. Open, but it was difficult in the right ways that led to more entertaining golf. And oh. it still create a worthwhile leaderboard of, um, you know, good players. I would agree with that. Um, so, so to, to, to me, I think we need to stop thinking about 
seeing a black number as the winning score for a, a tournament and saying like that was a successful event because it's less about getting to that black number and more about what it looks like on your way to that number. Uh, I, I would agree with that for sure, but I think it's more of the going into Wingfoot and all these winning scores, you know, over par. So there was just an expectation for this week to be. What do you mean all these that, winning scores? You mean under par before it? No, over par. The only winning score over par for the U.S. Open recently was Shinnecock. I'm talking about at Wingfoot. Uh, oh, okay. The okay. previous Wingfoots. Yeah. So going into this week, people were expecting like the same carnage, like the traditional like Wingfoot eating up people. And I guess we got that. If you take fucking Bryson, Bryson out, out of it, it did. Yeah. And besides that being said, too, what's the biggest difference between 2006 and now? Like, is it the depth of the skill? Maybe. Or is it the fact that the driver's heads in 2006 were half the size of what they are now? Like, they were at least playing with Pro V1s by that point. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it is a good point. If you just take Bryson out of the picture, Wolf would have won at even par. Yeah. And people, like, wouldn't have been fucking having a hissy fit. So, it... What it really comes down to, to me, is that, like, this wing foot, like, it's boring as shit with how the <laughs> game of golf is being played right now. And, like, I don't care if Bryson won with five over, if that's what it looked like to get that. Like, if he, if you just took Wolf's, like, or whatever, if you replace Bryson with Harris English in the way he played, which was admirable in the way that he clawed back after a double on the first hole, and he won with that three over like that was a boring as fuck tournament because all it was was just bombing it down there and then just chopping it up to a green that had huge slopes to catch any sort of momentum trying to roll forward and yeah they could have been firmer and yeah they could have rolled out a little bit more but if you made them any faster you would have seen people spending even more times on the greens trying to putt and look man everyone putted like shit this week so it's like if they were faster that would have been even more carnage and i look I think watching people spend forever putting and missing putts from four feet is boring as shit too. So like I want to see challenge on approach shots and I want to see challenges that actually lead to kind of entertaining golf versus people just like becoming Phil and like hitting moving putts because they're so frustrated. We're just like, this is really, really boring. So, um, so the third attempt back to get to the leaderboard and going down it though, Matthew Wolf in second, it, Look, at the end of the day, if you began this week and you were told that Matthew Wolf got solo second at the U.S. Open, you would be stoked, right? I mean, probably. I'd be. I, I still. I still think it's a good week for him. Like, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it just. You know, I went into the. I went into today like wanting the boy to win it. I mean, and yeah. You put money on him. I. I mean, I put money on him just because I like. I like having that extra, like, Stay I'm in invested game. with them. Yeah, skin you know? game. But yeah, I mean, it was just an ugly, ugly, ugly Sunday showing. And uh, you can either blame it on nerves. You can blame it on him having getting lucky the previous day with his rough lies. But at the end of the day, he was not driving off the tee like he was the day before. And he generally just could not fucking find... Uh, a cup on the green like he was just well, yanking and pushing putts left and right 
I also like I don't want to say it, but I'm going to say it. He made up his ground on Thursday and uh, Saturday, the two easier days. So he made like I mean, it was easier for everyone, but like I don't know. You know, he lost strokes on Friday and today he played awful. I think it'd be interesting to say whether or not he lost strokes on the field Friday. I mean, I don't know what a 74 is in terms of averages across the board. I mean, maybe he lost a stroke against the field on Friday. But I think if considering that was the cut day and just looking below the cut line, how many people shot high 70s and low 80s, um, I think he probably gained strokes in the field on Friday. Just not as much as Bryson, who beat him by six strokes on Friday. Yeah. I mean, um, well, then, I mean, I'll take that back. I was just thinking in my head right then. So I don't know. He played better in the easier conditions, but almost everyone did, except Bryson. Bryson played his worst round Saturday shooting even par. Yeah. Um, next on the leaderboard is Louis Ustazen, who, um, it's, it's, it's hard to he really. He was a policeman out there yeah he, he was, was a, he was a, he was a, he was a british policeman out there today with his look which is stellar i was asked him to arrest bryson on the 10th tee um because i could just feel him just building more and more and more momentum um but uh yeah louis he he is always in the mix at majors man um and i think it just really comes down to the same thing as brooks is that Louis doesn't give a fuck about anything that's not a major. Like, he'll go and make what he needs to make for income purposes wherever he goes. But, like, I think his game is so much better than people give him credit for. And, like, he just only shows it when it matters. Like, yeah, he doesn't have as many majors as, like, guys that you would say have stellar, incredible golf games. But they're also not 5'7 and, like, 150 (laughs) pounds. Like, And he has a good major. Like, he plays well in majors most of the time like just because he hasn't won a lot doesn't mean that he's not good at good in them yeah i mean which is a great transition into a guy who we'll talk about here in a second i know but we got another guy to talk about first who's harris english and i want to chalk up and just say this this is a huge win for harris english just blowing patrick reed out of the water this week um you know he has he was involved and you know around the proximity during patrick reed's kind of collegiate um scandals and while he did lose but to the hand of uh patrick reed in college you know he kind of got his revenge this week a little bit and it was cathartic to watch patrick reed implode yesterday and to kind of watch harris english kind of keep his shit together today despite a really unfortunate lost ball on the first hole today to have to go back to the team eventually ended up with doubles so you know, props to Harris English. I hear he's flushing it. So um, uh, hopefully he continues to flush it in the future because as little as I know about the guy, um, him doing well and succeeding, I know probably pisses off Patrick Reed to some extent. So for me, that's that's a huge win. And as much as I dislike um, Bryson as like a personality and the shit that he says and generally kind of his his the way he conducts himself on and off the golf course to an extent. Um, I can respect what he's done as a golfer. And to me, that at least warrants him earning a, a, a major. And if Patrick Reed had done what Bryson did on Saturday and then he eked out a win today, um, I I wouldn't have been able to do this podcast. 
Um, but uh, as you now probably know, looking at the leaderboard, we're transitioning to the solo fifth finisher at the U.S. Open, a Mr. Xander Shoffley. Um a man who is firmly within my wolf pack that I root hard for every single week. And I've got to say, it was an extremely frustrating watch this week. Um, I, I would be lying if I didn't say part of my disdain toward this golf tournament had to do with how he played today. Um, it, I think, to me, he's been giving me very, very interesting Rory vibes recently where if you're watching him, you'll see him hit a shot that you think maybe only three other plant people on the planet can hit, and he'll follow it up by missing a four-footer for birdie, and then he goes on to just tap in his par, and then the next hole, you'll see that kind of be like, oh, that's rough, and then he'll miss a five-footer for par, and then like you just see his putter kind of biting up and killing him, and this is the same guy where you look at him like, oh, there's no fucking way this guy isn't going to knock one of these off, but he hasn't yet, and it's been getting frustrating, and... You know, it's it's one of those things that winning isn't everything, but I I need this guy to get one, and I start I'm starting to feel sort of like what you feel like with Ricky, with with Xander. You don't even know, bro. But so my thoughts on Xander, I think ever since the restart this year, he's been kind of in a weird place. He's played he played well at the PGA, and he played well this week. He played well at Memorial. Yeah. I mean, he shows up in hard tournaments, which is good. But uh, I don't know. I, I, he hasn't seemed like the same guy, I don't feel like. But uh, it seems like as of late, like the last month, he's kind of working himself out of that. But uh, I don't know. You know, he plays well. He's a great golfer. You know, I don't know how to explain today, honestly. Like, it just – he had five bogeys in a row in the back. And I don't know if he just became, like – I think maybe he looked at the leaderboard and he was like, "Oh man, like I could he probably I knew. could bo- I could bogey four or five times and it's it's it's, it's barely going to it's barely going to change this week. I might make 100 grand less, but that doesn't matter when I already have what I have and I'm not going to win this week." And like him throwing away five bogeys at the end and still getting a solo fifth is obviously incredible. Like that the fact that he's still in that position after bogeying so many times um on the back. So it it it's frustrating, but it's also I have to kind of keep this in perspective that Xander's still a young guy, and he has a lot of uh, time ahead of him to knock these things out. He's and got he, a lot of tread on those tires. He does lots of tread left, and everything is trending like he's going to knock a few of these out. Like he's only played the U.S. Open four times, and his worst finish is T sixth. So like nobody really has that track record recently. I don't think anybody does. That includes Brooks. So it's like. I don't know. He went back to back and then got six. How do you do in 2017? I mean, the last four times, though. He didn't play this year. But but if you averaged, like, this is a good question. So, like, if I I pulled up. First, first. I get it. But his worst is T6. Second at at fucking Pebble. I get it, man. But let's let's look this up for a second. Like if he got if he missed the cut or if he got like T thirty seventh, Xander's average is lower than lower than his. Yeah, I mean, Brooks wasn't 20, in 20, himself. Twenty seventeen, he won at Aaron Hills. Twenty eighteen, he won at Shinnecock. Twenty nineteen, he got second at Pebble Beach. He didn't play this year, so we're looking for twenty sixteen. So I mean, I just want people like if you just don't really like if you just 
reserve everyone. That was I think, the I think, DJ I th- one I, at, at, at Oakmont. At Oakmont, yeah. So like, just for just for a minute, like I understand that winning is a huge deal, and like there should be a lot of weight put into winning. It takes a lot to win. But if we're just speaking just pure consistency. Yeah, we can look at a median. We can look at an average. You can do whatever you want to, like, try to boost up your Xander (laughs) stock. Well, I think it's just an an argument that can be made, right? So let's see here. Why am I? There's lots of ways to do that. But, I mean, no one's trying to discredit the dude's talent. So it'll be... It'll be close because Brooks in 2016 got T 13th. So it's like, God damn it. I'm about to, am I really about to do this? <laughs> I mean, one, Phil, one, two, thirteen. 13. Yeah. Fill, fill some time for me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's calculating the odds right now and we're just <laughs> trying to figure this out, I guess. One, but, one, 13 plus. Two. I think that the two wins in a second definitely outshines what Xander has done. He his his average would be lower, significant. Not, not significantly, but it would be like two and a half places lower, which in the in the scheme of things isn't a lot. Two and a half places difference like at US Opens over the last 4 years when he won two of them. So like that's no, he's ins- probably like number 2 after after Brooks potentially. I don't I don't yeah. know. I I'm just saying the one person that was brought up is Brooks. Which was my well, I was trying to make the point. Yeah. Like, it's the fact that you have to do the math for it, like, is I think a huge testament to him and, and the fact that it, it it just it's just wild to me that he hasn't knocked one of these out. And I know that there's guys like that that are on tour right now that don't have that don't have major wins and like deserve them. But I think I think the short list right now is it's Rom and it's and it's Xander. Yeah. Those are the two guys that are the best players in the world that don't have a major that sure as shit deserve one. I would agree with that. There's definitely other guys out there, but those are the two best guys right now that don't have one for sure. Yeah. And, you know, there's obviously guys that, you know, haven't gotten, you know, their their major yet that deserve them. Guys like Lee Westwood or, you know, Monty that never got one. And there's careers that deserve those majors. Um, but I think as far as like, if you're looking at guys that should have knocked out one in modern, like the recency of the last like four years and going forward, like these are guys that they've got to get, they're going to, they're going to get one sooner. They've, they've got to get one soon because I could see this kind of eating away at Xander at some point and start cutting into his confidence. Like, he seems like a pretty even keeled guy. And I think that's one of the reasons why he does so well in these hard conditions. But like you keep getting this close. Like I think he's got a better track record at majors than Rom. And like, I would, I want to do a more comprehensive look into this, but I think besides Brooks, he might be the most consistent major golfer of the last four, four years. Cause I mean, it's not just us opens. He plays, he got T second at the Masters last year. He 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 was in the final group at the U.S. Open in 2018. Like he has been playing stellar golf in majors, and we can get off of him now. But I think he needs to be given more respect by the general golf public. And the fact that he gets so quickly dropped from broadcasts is fucking insane to me. He doesn't have the it. That's what I was saying earlier, man. He just doesn't have that it factor. So they're easy to, they're, they'll throw him to the side easily. 
Yeah, I don't know what what is. I know everyone asks this question. What is the it factor? It's like that's why it's called the it factor. It's a shtick. It's like something that the public is interested in. So I don't think Xander has that thing that draws people in necessarily. Yeah, you know, I, he's I, a great I, talent, and yeah. I think that you know people that are really into golf respect that and know that. But like. You know, there's a reason why fucking people love John Daly, and there's like a reason why you know Bryson, yeah, I th- love I th- or hate him, like he's brings the needle. Like, I, I think really, it really comes down to whenever it comes to like it factor marketability, you got two. There's two sides of the coin. There's personality, and then there's just raw talent and accomplishments. Mm-hmm. So you have guys that are very. I would say personable or they're marketable. They have great personalities and they can, they can kind of market them guys like Ricky that like don't have a bunch of majors and you don't have any real reason to keep putting them in featured groups every goddamn week. One of the days, one of these days he might have one without even winning one. What with the players? Yeah. We don't need to have that conversation. I know. I'm I'm just kidding. And then, you know, there's guys that like honestly never really had the personalities that drew out the commentary on them. Like Brooks was basically the forgotten man, like Xander for a long time until he won three majors before they started really talking about him. Like he won two majors in, was it this? No, he had one major from Aaron Hills and they still wouldn't have him like in commercials for the U S open or have him in press conferences before other majors, but they wouldn't even fucking bat an eye at him because he didn't have like the it factor that you talk about. And he had to go ahead and win two more majors before they started fucking talking about him. And so it, it, it feels a bit, a bit ridiculous that people's raw golf games aren't appreciated more on like a large level. And I don't know if it's because there's just too many casual golf fans that don't care or it's that the broadcast is failing to accentuate and entertain people with great raw talent of golfing. And they just can't actually properly portray that talent to the television product. Well, I think a lot of that has to do with the people that are announcing the game. Like I get, I get wanting to have someone that's knowledgeable and has played the game and stuff like that, but you don't necessarily have to, I don't know. I think they could pick and choose people much better because you know, making and like just for for an example xander if you were able to describe his golf game in a way that people that don't necessarily know a lot about golf to understand and be like oh damn i never thought about that that's crazy kind of something more beyond that this guy hits the ball really well which is what they usually just say like this guy is just he's a great he's a great golfer like you wouldn't believe how good of a golf. Like this guy's an underrated golfer. Like just saying he's an underrated golfer doesn't really provide much context to like why he's such a special talent. And it yeah, it's frustrating. I mean, we had a conversation during the broadcast today about how like why do we continually keep having these super old vanilla cheesy looks like they were made in some shitty focus group announcers that have no real personality that say just cringy cliche or like inside the box top of a serial jokes that just make no real impact to the broadcast and it's like do you just think your entire audience is 65 years old watching from the nursing home and i know people that are 65 aren't in nursing homes but i think that would help or something that would help and just seeing it like it doesn't have to be chuck but like someone that isn't necessarily and like you mean a, Charles Barkley when you yes, say Chuck. Yeah, Charles Barkley. 
Um, so it doesn't necessarily have to be him, but having someone like that, that isn't like a ex pro golfer or doesn't necessarily know everything about the game, but is able to carry on a conversation and able to add this entertainment value to the product and able to say something that the average person can relate to and see that what he's saying about the golfer and it's would make genuine, a big, which is yes. the, the real thing is that they're actually coming from a place of naivety yeah. versus someone who knows a ton about golf, but then thinks of the way that they have to say it to dumb it down for people. And not only does it just come out badly, but it comes out condescending or it comes out in a way that just feels like that was actually less clear than if you just spoke your normal kind of nuanced, you know, inside baseball kind of normal way of talking about the sport which is like there's a lot of sports out there that are very complicated that a normal person jumping in wouldn't quite understand and you just kind of learn by being thrown into it trust that your audience is going to spend the time if they're interested enough to figure out what you mean when you say redan green or you say that this thing is you know it's drawing or something like that like just trust that like people will figure it out with patterns and how things are built out that like you can't dumb things down for the broadcast so much that you're now alienating your actual intelligent and educated kind of demographic because those are the people that are watching for eight or nine hours a day. Like at the end of the day, like those are the people that are fucking like going to be around for the long haul. And they're going to be the ones that are going to be drawing in more and more viewers because those are the fans that are going to be sticking around once Tiger and Phil go away. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think I think someone like Charles Barkley, like like I said, it doesn't necessarily have to be him, but a personality like that, besides two older ex pro golfers or whatever it may be, Faldo and Jim Nance, or I can't I can't do Faldo. Yeah, uh, we no, we don't have to go down the Faldo wormhole. I'm just saying that you know, ha- add add a little spice to it. We're tired, you know, we're tired of this bland shit. And they'll just be asking the right questions because they're going to be the closer conduit for the actual casual golf fan. And then you can have someone next to them that's just a bright personality that can... Like, there there really needs to be someone who can be the heady, truly educated, nuanced, quick-talking, just great golf mind next to someone who is far more casual, that has a great comedic head, that is a great personal figure that people can kind of connect with and find that working relationship so that that those people can kind of bounce off of each other because having two kind of ex golfers that are in their late sixties, like trying to play both like personalities and both head head spaces, it's just failing and it's failing badly. Um, and, uh, just to kind of round out the, uh, the top 10 after Xander, cause we spent a bunch of time on him, uh, Dustin Johnson just kind of cruise controlled his way into a T6 when he was pretty much a non-factor for almost the entire tournament. He was just hanging around right on the periphery. We were like, yeah, if Dustin Johnson like went out shot and shot really, low. He shot a really bad first round on Thursday. And at that point, you were just sort of like, okay, the average score was probably under par or close to it for uh, for Thursday, and you shot three over. So I, I, there were 21 people under par. So I don't think like that was the average score was under par, but like he played a, for what people were expecting him to do coming into this week, he shot a really bad score. I don't remember what the score was. It was well over par, but, uh, I think it was three over par or four over par. I can't remember it. What he shot. Yeah. Three over par. Yeah. Three over par. Regardless, it's not what 
anyone was expecting and you know when people were going out and under par was definitely doable um that's just not what you wanted to see but yeah he managed to creep his way into and it's just like what would have been maybe if he fucking would have shot you know a semi-okay round on thursday yeah i mean he he had an incredible kind of last fifth of of a season and uh i guess the tour championship was just kind of like the end of that run and now i feel like he's kind of kind of receded back to that median point for him and i think it's just a testament that his median point is a t6 at a u.s open like yeah i mean i'm sure he could be relatively drained mentally and physically coming into this um but uh yeah i i I, he just peaked a, a, a fraction too early you know but yeah, yeah. He did come out with way more money than he would have. <laughs> Otherwise. That's, that's true. That's definitely true. Um heading down from there, Will Zelatoris, you know, new really young new golfer. Um I, I uh I'm excited to see what he does. I, I didn't they didn't show enough of his golf game today to really get a full sense of him. I haven't watched too much of his golf. I do hate that all they did was cut back to his hole in one. Whereas if like he played amazing golf this week for someone kind of that young, just trying to figure things out with a T six, and he had some he had some good rounds, so it was just sort of like what, like, you guys truly are just looking for the casual fan bait, and with that hole in one, and the only time they cut back to him during the broadcast was when he was back to that hole where he got the hole in one, like it's it it's just such lazy broadcasting, and it unfortunately. Um, wasn't capitalized on for Will Zalatoris and he deserved a lot more of the broadcast for a guy who got T sixth. They didn't show shit of him and it's unfortunate. Um quietly at T eighth, Tony Finau. Look, he is who we thought he was. He another top ten finish at a major for Tony Finau. He continues to rack up points for whatever team that he's on in our league. Um and uh, you know, props to him continually to make his money and be a consistently I good mean, fucking golfer. It's Ando's team and he had Bryson and fucking Finau. And JT, who also got T eighth with Tony Finau, um, who we'll we'll jump to here in a second. But yeah, man, I mean I think Tony Finau will get a win at some point in his future. May not be a major though. May not be a major. <laughs> <laughs> but I am now as I can only be as bold as I'm comfortable being and being bold for Tony Fina at this point to me is he will get another PGA tour win <laughs> at some point in his future. <laughs> Cause I think he seems to be comfortable doing what he's doing. And until I see him getting a T eighth at a major and he is just pissed getting off of the 72nd green. Um, I just don't think he's, I say it every single podcast that we talk about him. He doesn't have that next mental gear, and it will continue to yield T8s as his, you know, near his ceiling. Do um, you have any thoughts on Tony Fino? It's hard. He's another guy that doesn't have the it factor. It's a hard way to have a lot of thoughts on him. Yeah, he's 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 really good. I don't like he fucking. I I worry for Victor Hovland. That's all I have to say. I have a lot of worry. For the viewers out there, he worries for them because they both won the Puerto Rico Open. And yes. there is a Puerto Rico Open curse so far that no one who has won the Puerto Rico Open has ever won another PGA Tour event before. So 
you know, something to monitor. <laughs> um, moving down after Tony Finau, um, also in T eighth was Justin Thomas. Um, so somehow he got T eight. That's all I have to say. <laughs> like I, mean, I was expecting him to finish fucking like T thirty or something. I think the conversation needs to be had is that it was completely reasonable to think that he was going to finish to uh, finish T thirty, and yet he was the first round leader. Like we need to have a conversation about JT, as you have said before, not living up to his his reasonable expectations of being one of the greatest golfers on the fucking planet, and him not being able to do it in hard conditions. Um, I mean, it kind of just seems like at U.S. Opens, like I know the Aaron Hills he played well at, but like if you look up them, like he doesn't really show up at U.S. Opens. I mean, granted, a T8, you could say, is showing up like he played well, but all the while him not playing well at the same time for his standard. Um, he's just it's an interesting case. Like, I, I don't really. Yeah, the, the rough the rough thing here was the Saturday round. It was the round where a lot of people made up ground. It was somehow moving day for people. And, uh, you know, it was one of the easier days and he shot a 76. Which, Friday, you mean? No, I'm talking about Saturday. Saturday it was one of the harder days. Friday was the hardest days. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I have them backwards. Um, so he he shot his worst round on Saturday, and uh, that's what shot him in the foot. And 72 was a pretty damn good score today, and he made up a lot of um, movement on the leaderboard for that and got himself into a, a top 10 spot. Um, so it's... It's pretty wild to think that he kind of snuck in the back door and, you know, he he shares that backdoor entrance with another guy who's kind of renowned for not being an actual factor in majors who also is on JT's level and deserves to kind of be thought of as someone who should perform in majors. But having not done that in six years, T.A. Rory McIlroy. Um, he recently had a child named Poppy. Did he? <laughs> yeah i did not know that huh. yeah just thought, you, thought did I you like bring that did up. someone just bring up that like deep deep kind of information off twitter or something or do they have like inside knowledge from the family like i how did heard this get it out? i heard it throughout this week from really one particular source which was the broadcast huh yeah i didn't know that do you think that had any effect on his on his play today I do. Or just any had, of the days. I think it had effect on his whole just life, having a child again. <laughs> That's probably know. fair. I mean. Yeah. Regardless. Huh. Oh, yeah, he's, a new, can... he's a new dad. And, you know, I had I known that during the broadcast, I would have been far more interested in the product. And I probably would have been far more engaged in, in the TV product, but I must have missed it. I thought that's valuable information that I probably should have heard at least 20, 30 times a day. Yeah. But I don't know how I caught that. Um Webb Simpson eking out another uh, another major top ten. Um I actually thought this would have been a good course for Webb for a different reason because I drank the Kool-Aid of the USGA and the players in saying that you need to hit fairways out here, and I thought Webb would hit fairways. Not only did you not have to hit fairways, but it didn't even seem like Webb was gonna hit fairways, and he still he still pulled it off. 
So, you know, kudos to him. He's been playing stellar golf since the restart. T8 is a good finish, despite what we say about Finau and JT. You know, it's a good good performance for him considering his age and how long he's been in the game for and him reinventing himself. Um, T8, Zach Johnson, we don't need to talk about that. Um, and then as we go on the leaderboard, you know, Patrick Reed, thank goodness, fell outside the top 10. You know, not not a whole lot beyond that that really is of huge note. Songjae had a pretty good round today with a 71. Um, you know, he is going to continue to climb his way to being the greatest golfer on tour and of all time. <laughs> that, is a, that is a hill I will continue to stand on and champion. Um, John Rahm. Uh, I think a lot of people probably picked him this week as a guy who was thriving on the hardest conditions on the tour recently um, with his win at uh, Olympia. I think Rom picked himself this week, too. (laughs) (laughs) He was confident, and he should be. I mean, he he did win Memorial, which was one of the harder setups. uh, In Olympia fields. Which I said before this, but yeah. Oh, I didn't hear. Um, And uh, so I think he was a reasonable pick. I think he made a lot of sense, and... I think T23 is a bad John Rom finish, finish from what we tend to expect from him. I mean, we compared him earlier with being up there with Xander Shoffley as one of the guys that deserves to have a major by this point. He's the second best, or he's number two in the world right now, I believe. I think it's DJ, Rom, Rory, um, JT, and Rory then Kyle. now, well, not anymore. Bryson DeChambeau is now the fifth ranked player in the world. Oh. Morikawa is sixth now. Um, so yeah, John Rom T23, not good enough. Um, I'm interested to see how you do with the masters and, uh, how you pull together because you have played well at the masters. You have that ability and, uh, you know, you are a strong putter, although it didn't really seem that way this week. Um, and I'm interested, but, uh, I think this is a great opportunity to transition possibly to talking about the next major of the masters. Do you have any other closing thoughts on, uh, the U.S. Open or this leaderboard? Um, I would say that overall from the whole tournament that I am disappointed in it. Yeah, I am too. And that, and I'm not, and it's not because of the result of Bryson winning. Because, you know, like you said earlier, like he has put in the work to be deserving of a major win. Um, whether that be hitting it as far as he can and hacking it out of the rough onto the green and making putts or whatever. I mean, he, he was given, he looked at what the, the equate, he looked at the, 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 the equation for the game of golf right now. He's like, okay, I know what formula you need to, you know, create the, the solution for this. And he went into the lab and he figured it out. And so if he never spoke a word outside of golf, I would respect the fuck out of that. Um, and I do of his game, but not of him. So that's and that's that, basically the way I break down that, with it. All that aside, where I was going with the before that, uh, just I I am pretty disappointed in the lead up to the tournament and how the USGA prepared the course day to day. I think they should have done it differently, um, and I think we would have had a better tournament if they maybe not better, but more entertaining tournament if they would have done it differently. I think a lot of the, a lot of the responsibility needs to fall on the broadcast too for an entertaining product. And that, that was a disgrace this week. Yeah. I, I, what I, what I guess I'm trying to say is that I think there would have been 
more people in contention potentially. Um, and it could have still been a tough test and there could have been people, you know, with the, the tough scores, they just didn't set it up properly. But, uh, you know, how much of that is on the USGA and how much of that is on the staff at Wingfoot, the greenskeepers and stuff, I don't know. Um, I'm not going to pretend to know, but I do know that it was a pretty big miss. It's all shared blame in some lo- at some level. Yeah. Um, so. And look, like, Wingfoot is a classically difficult course, and we're no longer in classic golf if we were to put a pin in this, like, and this it was it, difficult in its own way this week, but it wasn't the entertaining way by any means. Um, you know, yeah, seeing Bryson hit massive drives is only entertaining entertaining for so long, um, and it is, you know, astonishing and it's to be respected. But when you're continually watching every player hit shots out of the rough all week, and you're not able to watch people hit cool shot shapes into greens to pin locations and watching some shots that were potentially a really good shot, just not be good enough and roll off a green or something like that, or see a shot that you didn't think was going to be good, but they, you know, played it a way that you didn't think it would work. Um, we didn't get to see any of that really. Um, and that's what I would have liked to see. Um, I think it could have been set up in a way that we could have been able to see, something closer to that as opposed to what we got. But, you know, you, you could say hindsight's twenty twenty, but they had four days. Uh, Thursday they could have taken a much different route than they did, um, but they decided to do it the way they did. So, you know, it is what it is. And everyone played the same course, and Bryson came out on top. So respect to doing that, and, yeah, that's all I have to say. Matt Wolf, you'll get yours one of these days. You fucking played a good tournament and nothing to be fucking upset about. It'll be it'll be hard for him to shake this one off, but uh Yeah. You know, he he's gonna have plenty of opportunities. He has the game for it. Yeah. All right. So we can spend a short bit of time, but we can let's talk masters. Okay. On a scale of one to ten, how excited are you for Augusta? It's been uh it's been a long ass time since we've had a Masters. Yeah, uh, it's my favorite tournament tournament of every season. Um, it sucked that it was canceled um, in April, um, but yeah, I'm really excited about it. It's I, I can't decide if I'm happy that it's in November. I guess happy isn't the right word. Like I'm absolutely happy we're getting a a, a Masters, but I can't decide if I. I'm going would you have rather it been in happened in April? Yeah, just of course I would have rather it happened in April, but we can't change that. But I'm interested to see what the setup's going to be like, like how it's going to play. Like, is it going to be the masters that we have grown to love over the years? And yeah, it, it's a good question because I think it basically is asking this, which is basically are we still going to get the tests that we tend to get from Augusta and will it reward what it normally rewards in terms of game? Mm-hmm. Um, or is this going to actually be possibly a, a subpar test of game because maybe they can't keep it firm 
or that they've had to overly seed or water in some way where it actually plays extremely soft on the greens and they're not firm. That's what I'm worried about. I'm worried about them. I don't know what the seasonal grass schedule is. I'm not going to pretend to know, but if they do something to where it plays way easier than it normally would because they're worried about it looking green or something like that, that would be awful. Yeah, so because they have this image to uphold of them it just being it popping and the azaleas and all yeah. this other shit, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think I would like to think that they um, are gonna lean into the fact that it's November and Georgia looks different in November, and you guys get to see Augusta in a different kind of beauty than you normally see it. Mm-hmm. And unless Augusta is actually really gross in November and it looks bad. And they're really worried about how it's going to come across for their pristine institution and, and property that they actually think it's going to hurt the brand of it. Um, then we may have a problem with conditions. I'm going to go ahead and cross my fingers and hope that we're just going to see a different test, but an equally um, rewarding test in a different way. And I, I think if there's one club that can be trusted to pull that off, it is Augusta. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited in that way. I think I'm actually pretty excited for it possibly being a different kind of test as long as it's, it's an equal test of um, golf skills and, you know, ability. Um, I'll be interested in if it, if it means different guys are going to be in the mix or if we're going to kind of see the same guys that tend to play well at Augusta play well at Augusta. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. We'll see. You know, John Rahm got T-second last year. Brooks got T-second last year. John Rahm got T-second last year. Um, Xander got T second last year. If those four guys all kind of are hovering around the top of the leaderboard again, then, you know, it's still going to be the test that we kind of know it to be. Um, so I'm, I'm excited for it. I'm excited that it's, you know, only like a month and a half away or maybe, um, maybe a little bit more than that, but I'm definitely stoked for it. Three majors is better than, than two. And I think with how disappointing the U S open has been, I, I think Augusta will be a redeeming, um, token to this to this major season um do you have any kind of favorites in your head for augusta right now um i've been saying rom like a lot of the time i feel like and i i think he could go in there and win i think you gotta put bryson in the the conversation um after this week it's one of the venues for majors that he should be able to take advantage of with this can new you, distance. Yeah, stuff. can you explain on that? Like, why is Augusta a good place for for Bryson? Um, well, he'll it, first off, there's no rough, right? Mm-hmm. Second off, he should be able to take advantage of his distance by cutting corners and stuff like that as well. Um, taking short, higher lofted clubs into the greens, being able to hit the locations he wants to with a shorter club is always easier. Um, and just generally like with the past with tiger like if he miss hits a club off a tee you tend to always hear him say go way right go way right or go yeah. way left and it's because you know if you get far enough on offline at augusta you might actually find yourself in other holes fairways or you'll find yourself basically in a better position on like pine straw than like some weird patch of rough that might be somewhere between holes so you know, I mean, Bry- it, Bryson has an opportunity to blast it however he wants and not get too penalized. I mean, he can potentially do what Tiger did to Augusta another time in a new era. Yeah. I think the biggest detriment to Bryson's game and his mentality at Augusta is they don't let you use green reading books. And 
Um, Bryson has been putting really, really well this year. And it comes down to the fact that he is so analytical and statistical about the way that he reads and creates and draws up his putts. And you can't do that. He has at played well there in the past, though. Whenever he played there as an amateur, but like, that's the only one people come up with. He hasn't actually played there that well as a professional. But yeah. unless you can switch to, he's a new golfer now. But you can't use the past if you're going to use this new this new Bryson. I, golfer. I'm not using that. I'm just saying that there is a there is a past tournament where he's played well there, and I think that he could. I think he. I think. I, and there's it, no way you can he, rule he, him out. He, firstly, he played good as an amateur. Yeah. Is the caveat as an amateur, or did he actually play well? I mean, and like he could he was have in a whole top. new confidence after winning the U.S. Open. You know, I don't know if confidence makes you a better reader of Augusta Green. It may though. not be. It may not. But uh, who I'm, knows? Firstly, I'm not saying he's not a person that you should count out. All I'm saying is that Bryson has been playing as one of the best putters on tour recently. And there's a big part of his toolkit that's not allowed at Augusta. I mean, you can say that with every player, though. Yeah, they may not hold it as much as Bryson or One, use it as nobody much. Holds it as, n- nobody needs it as much as Bryson. I mean, we don't know that. But you can you can think that. I, I don't know. I, I'm, amongst, all I'm saying Amongst is the top that, players in the world, definitely they don't need it as much as Bryson because the top players in the world have shown that they can get high on the leaderboard at Augusta. Rory, Spieth, John Rahm, Xander, DJ, Brooks, Justin Rose. These guys that are clearly around Bryce have shown that they can read and putt on Augusta Greens and gain strokes in the field there, which he relies on to an extent with his game when he wins tournaments. So let's sure. see let's see how well he does at Augusta putting. And I could be shut up and he putts amazing on it, but he relies on his his all of his numbers and his statistics and all of his homework and research quite a bit. And when he doesn't have that thing to look at for five minutes on every fucking green before he putts, you know, maybe we might start seeing him kind of give back a few to the field on the greens. Who knows? But I think that's something important for people to know when they just think, oh, just pencil him in for a, a great finish at Augusta. Sure. I, I just, I, yeah. I think he is someone to think about there. <laughs> so you you got a. Uh, I said Rom. I think Bryson's someone to think about. Um, is Rory a factor th- this fall? I'm gonna say no. I think he'll probably do something like this week. Maybe yeah. backdoor top ten, or it'll be worse. Yeah, I don't think that's an unreasonable, um, un- an unreasonable guess. I I think. I think it would be a surprise to almost everyone if he were in the position he was in for 2018 with a final pairing with a leader on the, on Sunday. Um, I think it'd be the best storyline. I think it would be the most uh, interesting, interesting thing to watch on Sunday. Um, But I don't think it's very reasonable. Um, I I think it's Rory or Spieth for sure. My God. Wait, what do you mean by that when you say the that? The biggest like, story. Oh, the, the biggest story. I yeah. Would, um, yeah, uh, that's probably fair. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's true. It would be the best story. It just... It would be perfect. It would be... The, and the, he the, has come home. The, 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 <laughs> the worst part is is that 
it wouldn't change anything about where the state of his game is. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't convince me that he was any closer to being back. It, I would actually, it would actually further embolden my take that he should just quit professional <laughs> golf and only play the Masters. Um, because that's the only place he will continue to have um, success at, and until something that's radically not my changes, take. let's just get that on. The until record. something radically changes is how I finish that sentence. <laughs> okay. So unless you think he can keep doing what he's doing and nothing's and something's going to change, that that would be the take that you'd be having right now. I definitely think he needs to do something, but yeah what that thing is who who knows um does brooks return for it and does he play in the masters i have no idea yeah. i think it'd be better if he was there playing but i i have no idea i don't know the state of his injury it can't you know? be that bad if he's playing pickup basketball right yeah i don't know or unless he's like it has to be 100 percent, or i'm not playing golf I, if i can't fire on all cylinders at my highest ability then i'm not going to play major golf because it's going to ruin my statistics or it's going to not give me the opportunities that I want. That could potentially be his attitude as well. You don't, I mean, maybe he takes that major record as of now, like very seriously. So he also had a recent PGA tour, like bio that came out and like a doc, like it's like a 10 minute web video where, I mean, he's at the mindset now where he is going to, he's going to win 10 majors and have 25 wins and you're not getting the 10 majors if you don't go to them, you know? Yeah. Um, I think it's hard to have a whole lot of confidence in him. Um, Brooks? Yeah, at, uh, at Augusta right now. I think, I think a, a, good, a, good, a good Masters for him this year would be a top 10. I think I would be impressed with Brooks with a top 10 with how flippant his game has been and how all over the place his health has been in terms of his knee and just generally how he seems to have lacked quite a bit of confidence on the, on the golf course. What uh, about might not want to hear it, but what about Patrick Reed? You know, it's, it's honestly, it's a, it's a great, it's a great point. And I think a lot of people need to reckon with the fact that he is playing good golf on hard, mm. on hard courses. He was um, pretty high up in the leaderboard at Muirfield this year. And obviously he played, well for the first two days at, at this event and he can he can find something out there and when he's kind of firing um he can get it done and he put his weight back on too and he was around this size when he won the masters so it's sort of like maybe he's getting back to his pudgier self you know maybe rory should take a look at what he used to look like when he was winning uh, a lot of majors maybe maybe this dad maybe this baby with his dad bod might actually start churn out some wins uh i don't know where i heard it but rory supposedly started working out because of spine issues that he needed to reinforce his spine so i don't know if he would and that he actually started backing off a lot of his core and like weightlifting workouts because it was starting to have a detrimental effect after a while Mm -hmm. and he found himself at the right balance for his physique which I believe, and he seems to be healthier than ever. So I was obviously joking when yeah. I was saying, like, go back to your pudgy yourself. But Patrick Reed, on the other hand, you know, he needs it. He can do what he needs to. Um, I mean, I, I think there's always those guys that would play, have a chance to play well at Augusta. Um, I know you're going to bring up Shoffley again. How you I don't, played well I don't, last yeah, time. I don't really need to. Like, 
yeah, he had a T second there. He plays well at pretty much every major. Um, I really didn't like the way I saw him close out this tournament. It makes me really fear for his ability to truly kind of, uh, um, close one of these things out. And I know he wasn't actually like in contention for this with how far away the one, two spots were with this, but I expect him to at least get under par and then just post up a number. And he didn't do that. And I get that Bryson's the one who broke par today, but I think Xander's a better golfer than Bryson. And I think he's performed historically in harder conditions than Bryson. And I think he had the talent to break par today and he didn't do it. And so for me, I have high expectations for Xander. I think he needs to meet those high expectations to win a major. And so, yes, I think Xander's going to get another top. T- he'll get a top 10 at the Masters. I think it'd be, you know, if there were someone to bet to make a top 10 at the Masters, it's probably him. But am I confident that he would get a win there? Or, you know, am I even like 10% confident he'll get a win there? No, I'm probably hanging more around the idea of like a 5 to 7% chance that he wins there. Um, so it's, you know, it's not, it's not looking super, super likely for him. Um, and I think today had a lot to do with it for me. Um, he just couldn't seem to figure out the putter and he couldn't figure out his driver. And unless something big changes with his confidence level and his ability to kind of put it where he wants to, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of waning on me, but he's a drawer of the golf ball. And drawers of the drawers of the golf ball who are right-handed tend to thrive pretty well there. So you can't you can't count them out. And I'd be stoked if he did it, but you know, you know, we'll 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 see. Um, you know, we predicted John Rom to win it, and as much as he didn't really show it this week, I think he he's got a I think he's got a good chance. Yeah, I mean, I I still think that's a great a great you know bet is John Rom winning it. He's played pretty well there every time from my memory, um, and he's just he he's a pretty consistent guy. Like he there isn't really too many off weeks for him. So yeah, um, I think he you can't count him out. I think he's definitely like Xander a good top ten bet for Augusta. Yep. Um. I mean, I'm really looking at the the world rankings right now, and there's really no one besides John Rom to me that's standing out as someone that like, oh, like there's just no way this guy isn't gonna get, be in that top like top three, and like he has a good chance of winning this thing. Like John Rom to me feels like a possible lock for a top five, and has a chance to win this thing, and everybody else to me just feels like yeah they might be a decent lock for a top ten, but they're not they're not going to blow out the field this week or that week. And maybe some things will change. as We watch games continue for the next month and a half. And, you know, if I were to do a power ranking right now of like the five guys, I'm most curious to see at Augusta right now and think they have the best chance is, um, John Rom, Xander, uh, Dustin Johnson, who, although he had a rough week this week, like maybe he is gas, like you said, and he just needs some time to kind of like re-energize and he's played well there before. And then as, what you, about as, Wolf? as, as you pointed out, like, um, uh, <laughs> as you pointed out, Patrick Reed, like Augusta requires scrambling unless the conditions are way different. Like he has won there before. 
He played well the first two days this week. I think he's finding something again, and it's scary. Um, and then the, the fifth guy that I think people may count out because he just seems to he seems to wilt at this place a lot is um, is 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 JT. But he fell apart this week. But at the end of the day, he still won a shitload this year, and he's gonna figure something out. I think he's the least likely of those five but i think he's got an opportunity um you brought up wolf just now i don't think i'd put him in my top five mostly uh, because i don't think like nothing like not even in that but i think he could potentially play well there I, it'll be interesting to see how he deals with those greens but uh he can hit the shot shape for there and he hits it far so yeah my biggest thing for me is that this is his first time playing it mm-hmm. which is uh I don't know if anyone's won the first time they've played it besides when they had the first <laughs> the first the first one there. Um I could be wrong about that though obviously. Um the next thing being um he clearly is young and although he got this rep this week like it's still a lot for him clearly. Yeah. Um and the other thing being is that like look like his his scrambling wasn't that impressive this week he was actually just playing really well out of the rough from a distance away and augusta you gotta be scrambling and putting well to an extent um so you know who knows well it'll be interesting to see i think there's not a clear front runner right now for augusta and that's both interesting and kind of tough for narratives (laughs) i would bet that bryson's the favorite after this week like Vegas favorite. Yeah, I think that's I think it's fair to put him in that position. Yeah. Um and I think if Tiger is going to be up there with Vegas Vegas favorite just because it's Tiger and they have to pad the stats, but Yeah. I mean, I think you could have the argument that like Bryson could replace JT on my five of guys that are most likely to do it. I think there's something to be said about it's hard to go back to back. Um mm-hmm. and I think there is a certain level of hey i just got one i don't need to really worry about this like i like i'm riding my high of my Mm -hmm. previous one like and then there's all the contrary data of like brooks recent where it's like you get on a hot streak and you knock these things out Mm -hmm. you know brooks did it uh spieth did it like we and i think a lot of people this week thought colin morikawa might do it because of how good his ball striking is and your ability to be able to cut corners out there and kind of get over trees early so you know it it It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting at Augusta. I'm curious to see how Colin Morikawa does at Augusta. He's a pure cutter of the ball, but um, you know who knows? Maybe he'll figure out his form again for for that week. And you know, Augusta greens are are tricky for sure, and you got to learn them. But uh, but uh, he he's a he's a smart kid, and he might figure it out. And they're pure at least, and they're predictable. At least in April, they are. Yeah, it's kind of going to be interesting to see come november but yeah um overall it was cool to watch kind of this week um heavy on the kind of yeah heavy on the kind of um glad we got to get another major it was definitely the hardest you know course this year year statistically but uh not exactly in the ways and that we would have hoped but uh Congrats to Bryson DeChambeau. Um, you put in the work and you got yourself a major. Um, Matt Wolf, keep your chin up. You're going to have some more shots to come. Um, 
appreciate everyone that's listening and tuned in. Um, we'll see you next time. Peace.